Good morning, church. Today's reading is from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of our Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Mark. I serve as the adult ministries pastor here at Desert Breeze. Uh, it's great to be with you this morning, and whether you're here in the building somewhere or you're watching online, we're really glad uh, you joined us this morning. Uh, about six, seven, eight years ago, uh, I attended a pastor's leadership conference, and the material was great, but an experience I had in one of the breakout sessions I will never forget. And as I tell this story to you, you'll probably see by the end why I enjoy this story so much. It's just delicious, some of the things that happen within it. And so uh, you go to these big conferences, and there's a lot of big heavy names, a lot of big speakers, and then they'll do some breakout sessions uh, with maybe lesser known people or people from the area. And there was one breakout session in particular that I really wanted to go to. He was a young, up-and-coming communicator, and I really appreciated the things that he had said and done up to that point. He had a new book coming out. I wanted to hear what he had to say. Well, other people were aware that this guy was someone worth listening to because the breakout session, which was maybe half the size of our room in here, was filled instantaneously. There was not a seat left open. It was standing room only. And I got there and got a seat in the back row because like all good former Baptists, I covet the back row more than anything else. And uh, just kind of getting ready, excited, got my iPad out, ready to take notes. And again, no seats were available. And right before this gentleman got up to begin sharing uh, his talk for the afternoon, uh, a gentleman came running in the back door making all sorts of noise. And I'm going to refer to him as Pastor Late and Irritated. <laughs> and Pastor Late and Irritated came in, and he stood in between the two sections of chairs right next to the back row. So he's about four or five feet from me. And he's just making all these noises, and he's looking around, and he's grumbling under his breath, and you can just tell that he's late and irritated. And a gentleman at the very inside part of the last row, I'm going to call him Pastor Cool Gen Z Guy. Pastor Cool Gen Z Guy looked at him, and they started a little bit of a conversation. And at one point, Pastor Cool Gen Z Guy got up and offered Pastor Late and Irritated his, his seat. 
And then he went and stood by the, by, by the back wall. And I thought, good for you, Pastor Cool Gen Z guy. I appreciate that. That was really nice because I would not have done that for Pastor Late and Irritated. <laughs> and so Pastor Late and Irritated sits down, and the gentleman who's presenting starts talking, and immediately Pastor Late and Irritated is more irritated. And he's doing this because there's a bit of an obstruction, and we're behind like 20 rows of chairs, and he can't see. And he begins to complain to Pastor Cool Gen Z guy about the chair that he offered him. Like, what is, what's going on here? I can't believe you. And so at one point, Pastor Late and Irritated gets up and he leaves. He just walks out. Now, I cannot tell you really much about the breakout session because that was much sea viewing right there. In fact, most of us in the back were kind of watching this whole time going, okay, all right, yeah, Pastor Late and Irritated is now gone and irritated. Well, the session continues, the session ends, and the presenter says at the very end, oh, by the way, guys, I just want to bless someone in the room here. Thanks for coming today. If you'll check under your seats, there, don't get ahead of me now, there is an envelope for one of you, and in that envelope is one of my business cards that I signed. Bring it up after the session, and I'll give you one of my books for free. And there's $100 to Amazon, which every pastor needs. Use it to buy books, communion supplies, an assistant, whatever. Um, but it's money for a pastor. And so all of us begin frantically looking at our seats, and wouldn't you know, I hear from over to my right, Pastor Cool, Gen Z guy go, cool. And he had the envelope underneath his chair. And yes, all of us applauded Pastor Cool, Gen Z guy. Because those from the back knew what had just happened. He's like, oh, awesome, thanks. And we're like, yes! And you know me, some of you, you know my heart. I wanted to go find Pastor Late and Irritated so badly. <laughs> and just walk to him and say, hey, you know what you missed out on? Because Pastor Cool Gen Z guy, and I don't know, it might have been a God thing. It might have been coincidence. Maybe that envelope was moved supernaturally when Pastor Cool Gen Z guy did what he did. That all I could think of was, there were benefits waiting for the person who sat in that chair. And Pastor Leighton Irritated had access to those benefits. And he refused them. He didn't know they were there. But he should have known something was up. And instead, he allowed his circumstances to so alter his spirit that he got up and left and missed out on a hundred bucks to Amazon and a new book. And as we're going to see today, everybody, uh, the section we're jumping into today in Romans chapter 5 is all about benefits or advantages that you have if you are a follower of Jesus. And in many ways, this passage is pretty familiar to you if, you're, if you've grown up in church, if you've been to church a lot, if you've read your Bible consistently. Um, may not be new information for you this morning. But these benefits that we're going to talk about in Romans chapter 5 that Paul writes to these Roman house churches, these benefits, perhaps you need to be reminded of them this morning. Maybe you've forgotten about what it means to be justified by faith and what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what Jesus offers us, all of us, if we follow Him. Or perhaps you could be here this morning and you're returning to church, or you're new to church, and you're kind of checking this out, and you thought, Desert Breeze, you thought you were coming here to buy an air conditioner, and in reality, you found out it's a church, 
and you're wondering if I should be here, or someone talked you into it, they offered you lunch afterwards if you would come with them to church. And I want to say to you this morning, this is a great day to be here, because I hope that you'll hear some of the things that are true of a person who believes and follows Jesus. And it may be of interest to you to think about this further. So let's jump into it. Here is what we're talking about, these ideas of benefits or advantages. And so I put it this way to begin our time together. There are few things more frustrating in life than an unrecognized benefit, a missed out benefit. Uh, one of the ones that I struggle with the most is an expired coupon. I have a stack of them in the console of my car that are just, I cannot wait to use this. It's a buy one, get one. It's a $2 off. It's a buy six and you get three free and I'm going to eat all nine of whatever it is they are. <laughs> and then you go to pull it out and you realize, 2019, this is even like a pre-COVID coupon. How did I miss out on this? And so then you end up just throwing it away. That's, that's a little frustrating. It's not like a major drama in your life, but it can be frustrating. Or an unclaimed prize that you didn't know you had access to. Maybe a little more important would be a misplaced life insurance policy. That's critical. That would be rough. And so these unrecognized benefits can frustrate us in life. Well, in this fifth chapter of Romans, what we're going to see is Paul is going to pivot uh, there's a change in direction starting in this chapter where we have walked through the first four chapters, and I call the first four chapters the theological beatdown. And if you've been here over the weeks that we've been doing the book of Romans, congratulations, you made it through the roughest part of the book where Paul is just constantly hammering on the fact that we are all sinners in need of a Savior and that we need to be rescued. And nothing can save you from that except for Jesus. Well, you've arrived past that, and hopefully by this point now you recognize how much you need Jesus. And in this fifth chapter, Paul's going to pivot and turn, and now we're going to begin to see the benefits that any of us and all of us have access to if we've been justified by faith. Quick review of Romans so far, in case you're just joining us or you're popping in out over the last couple months. Uh, Romans is a letter written to house churches in the city of Rome by the Apostle Paul. He has never been to Rome, so he's writing to mostly strangers. And in his letter, with the undercurrent of these house churches dealing with some severe anxiety and uh, argumentation and a lot of conflict between them, mostly racially motivated but also socially motivated, that Paul begins to describe, first of all, the problem that all humanity is hopelessly trapped in sin, and we need to be rescued. That's about the first chapter to its core. And then in the second chapter and the third and even part of the fourth chapter, as we saw the last couple of weeks, this rescue is a failure on our part if we think we can rescue ourselves. If we think by our religion or our morality or even in the last few weeks we've seen if you were tied and somehow to Abraham and you thought your family was something that could somehow bring you the rescue. None of those things worked. But instead, it's God's righteous character providing us rescue through the person of Jesus by His death and His resurrection. And so as we've walked through those themes in these first four chapters, now we come to chapter 5, and Paul is going to pivot and move now in the direction of, as a person who's been justified by faith, these are the benefits that await you. 
and they are there. Oh, and they're not just under one chair, they're under every chair. If the church budget would have allowed it, we would have put something under every chair today for you. Instead, feel free to clean out whatever's underneath the... No, no, no. Gary does a great job. There's nothing there for you. But the benefits we're going to talk about today are for all of us in the room if we believe in and follow Jesus. So if you want to follow along, if you have a Bible in front of you, uh, let's start in chapter 5 at verse 1. And the very first word really lets us know that Paul is pivoting. In most translations, the first word in Romans 5.1 is the word, therefore. And I was taught from very early on that when you see the word, therefore, you look backwards to understand what the therefore is there for. And this therefore is here because based upon what we've just seen in these four chapters, therefore, Paul pivots, and then he says, since we have been justified by faith. Paul's going to do this three times in the book of Romans. There's lots of therefores, but there's three big therefores in the book. There's this one in chapter 5, verse 1. And we're going to see in a few weeks when we get close to Easter, there's another big one in Romans 8, 1, when Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then the third big therefore is in chapter 12, verse 1, where Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, those are three pretty famous verses, 5, 1, 8, 1, 12, 1. And in all three of those, Paul is taking what he has said up to that point and then moving in a new direction. And so in 5.1, he is telling us that since we have been justified by faith. If you have been justified by faith, that is a pivot point in your life. That is a hinge to your life. What you were like before you were justified by God through faith and what you are now, who you are, and what you are now that you've been justified by faith. Justification is a legal term. It means that you have been declared righteous by God, the judge. It's more than you're not found guilty. It's more than that. You and I have been made not guilty by the blood of Jesus Christ, by Christ's death on the cross and His resurrection. And so this hinge, this pivot right here, everything is new now. If you've been justified by faith, you have access to things that no one else even knows about, things that really should be a part of our entire existence. And so as we walk through these benefits today, I hope that you'll stop and consider, do I recognize them in my life if I am a follower of Jesus? Because much like Pastor Ray will often say that we have uh, gospel amnesia, we need to be reminded of the gospel again and again and again. The benefits that we're going to see that are part of the gospel today, we need to be reminded of again and again, because it's really easy to forget these things and get caught up in the day-to-day -day life. And so Paul's going to launch into some benefits that we have as followers of Jesus. And what I love about this passage the most is the way Paul constructs it. Um, the next 12 verses, 11 verses of Romans, Paul is going to lay out some of the benefits you and I have if we are followers of Jesus. And the structure Paul uses, there's some fancy theological terms you can use. I like to refer to it as a benefit sandwich. A benefit sandwich. Now, a little something about me. I've never met a sandwich I didn't like. And there are a few places that I really love their sandwiches. And one of my favorite places since I was a kid growing up in Tucson 
And yes, I grew up in Tucson. Notice I don't live there anymore. <laughs> I grew up in Tucson, and there was a place that was really just local to Tucson, and it was called EG's. This is God's gift to slushies and sandwiches. Someone told me after the message last night, they, I think there might be EG's in heaven. And I said, I see no problem with that. I'm pretty sure God has them on every street corner. So if you're not familiar with EG's, it's, it's sandwiches and it's slushies. They have an original grinder that if you get it toasted, oh my goodness, it is to die for. <laughs> and then you get a slushie, you get your favorite flavor. I'm a pina colada guy, I like those, lemon flavor of the month, you go crazy. Well then, wouldn't you know, just like in the last couple of years, EG's have now started to move north and they're popping up in Phoenix. And about the same time I started working here at Desert Breeze, they built an EG's right here at Bell on the Freeway. <laughs> it was as if God was just putting a big sign in front of me saying, go work at Desert Breeze. I will reward you with an EG's within walking distance. <laughs> and God has blessed us tremendously with that. Um, they kind of know me by name in there now. It's, it's a little sad. Um, they like have my order ready as I walk in the door. It's pretty rough. But I love a good sandwich. And if you think about a sandwich, that's actually what Paul is doing in this passage. Because he's going to use two similar ideas at the beginning and end of the passage. So think of that as your bread. Bread on top, bread on bottom. Two similar ideas to bookend the passage. And then he's going to have another benefit in the middle. That's the meat and the guts of the sandwich. That's put up whatever your favorite sandwich is. That's the middle part of it. So notice that in this passage, you're going to have a benefit at the top, a benefit at the bottom that are very close and similar in style and thought. But you need those two to enjoy and hold on to the meat and the guts of the sandwich that is the key part of maybe this whole passage. So here's what we're going to see. In the first couple verses of Romans 5, Paul is going to say that one of the benefits of being a follower of Jesus, of being justified by faith, is that you now have a new relationship with God. You have a new relationship. And he's going to pinpoint a specific aspect of that new relationship. Now, if you're taking notes, skip the next middle line and go down to the bottom line because the other part of the bread, the other bottom part of the sandwich that Paul talks about in verses 6 through 11 is also part of the new relationship that you have with Jesus. So he begins with an aspect of your new relationship. He ends with an aspect of your new relationship. And you need to know those two things. You need to remember. You need to recall those. You need to dive into those and really make them a, a key aspect of your life. When you know those two things, when you know the new relationship you have with God, then and only then can you really experience the middle section of this passage. And the middle section is you also have a new hope. A new hope. And all the Star Wars fans suddenly sat up and paid attention. If you're not a Star Wars fan, not like you know what we're talking about right now. A new hope. But that new hope, ladies and gentlemen, cannot be really experienced unless you are dwelling on and accepting and believing in the new relationship that you have with Jesus that Paul begins and ends the passage with. Okay? So we're going to jump into a benefit sandwich, and you'll probably be hungry and want to run and get brunch right after this. In fact, EG's could have a run today because I've pumped them up. I, this message brought to you by EG's. Um, they've sponsored it today. So here we go. 
The new relationship. Uh, in verse 1, Paul said, therefore, having been justified by faith, here's the first part of this new relationship. We have peace with God. We have peace with God. Peace with God. Now, the word peace that Paul uses there, it's arene in Greek, which you don't need to know. What I find interesting is that it is the root from where the name Irene comes from. And last night I found out that someone who's part of Desert Breeze has a middle name of Irene. And I thought, well, once again, God's just bringing stuff together. So if you know someone who's named Irene, or if you've used that middle name, or if that's your middle name and you've been hiding it for years, wear it proudly. It means peace. But probably you and I are more familiar with the word shalom, the Hebrew term for peace. And what's interesting about this term is just what it says on the screen, that shalom is more than just we're no longer hostile with each other. Shalom means we actually have this relationship that is based upon prosperity, upon well-being. It has to do with harmony and wholeness, completeness, tranquility. It's really more of a state of being than an attitude. And we're going to make a distinction here in a minute between another kind of peace that probably you're familiar with. But in this kind of peace, Paul is kind of, uh, he's, He's using something that they're familiar with, the Roman readers are, and that's that Pax Romana that supposedly was supposed to be happening in the Roman Empire, Roman peace. Well, Pax Romana, Roman peace, was brought about by force and violence and domination. Paul says, no, we have peace with God. It's based upon love. It's based upon the person of Jesus Christ. And so, peace with God means that I now no longer am an enemy to Him, or we have hostilities because of my sin. But there's been a peace treaty that God has designed for you and I that can't be broken. It's a unilateral treaty, so I can't do anything to undo it. I have peace with God. Now, here's the best part of peace with God. When you have peace with God, this provides the opportunity to experience Two more kinds of peace, the peace of God, the peace of God, and peace with one another, and peace with one another. Peace with God is actually different than the peace of God. Peace with God is more objective. It's the fact that we have peace with regard to God. There's no more hostility. We have this harmonious relationship. But you really can't experience the peace of God in the midst of situations if you're not really understanding that you have peace with God. Once I recognize that I have peace with God and there's nothing that can break that relationship, then suddenly I have a new perspective on how to handle the situations of life, the the hard part of living in this world, and I can have the peace of God in those situations because of my peace with God. I can also have peace with one another. I can have conflicts resolved in this world because my peace with God gives me the peace of God. I think of uh, Paul's other statement in Philippians 4.7 where he says, the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I can have that peace internally and then I can have peace externally. 
my peace with God gives me peace of God so I can have peace with one another. And it reminds me of that little saying that I used to hear a long time ago when I was a kid. It was always on bumper stickers and magnets, and you could find it at a Christian bookstore. And it sounds cool when you say it, and then you visualize it, and you go, oh, that's cool. It was four simple phrases. The first one was, no Jesus, and it's the word N-O for no Jesus, no peace. N-O, Jesus, N-O, peace. If you don't have Jesus in your life, you really can't have peace. But if you know Jesus, K-N-O-W, then you can know peace. Do you see why that was a popular little, like, that's, that's just got Christian bookstore written all over it. Like, you can sell those all day long. If I have no Jesus, I have no peace. If I know Jesus, I know peace. And that's what Paul's driving at here in this section. We can have the peace with God. That's part of our new relationship with Him. The second part of our new relationship, and now we jump to the very end of this section we're looking at this morning, and we get a new part of our relationship with God, and that is that we have been reconciled to God. We were enemies, and now we are friends. Our relationship has been restored. Let me read these three verses to you again at the end of the section, 9 through 11, if you're following along. And look at how this is a present and future truth about our connection to God, that we have been made friends, we have been reconciled with God, there's been a restoration of the relationship. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. More than that, like God just keeps piling it on above and beyond, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. And having reconciliation to God and having a restored relationship with God, now this also provides the opportunity for us to experience two things. Having a restored relationship with God allows us to experience a closeness to God, a closeness you have with a friend, someone that you don't have uh, animosity between. You can experience a closeness. You can also experience a confidence with God. Think of uh, a person that you have a great relationship with. It's a close friend. It might be a spouse or family member. It might just be a really good friend. Think of how close you are, they know you, you know them, sworn secrets with one another, like, please don't ever tell anybody that. But you also have a confidence with that person, like you trust them. How much more, Paul says, can we have that with God? Not just now, but for eternity. That closeness and confidence we can have with God is truly remarkable. And so these two new relationships that we have because we've been justified by faith, these two truths should have a radical effect on how we live. And I would bring back again, everyone, that the more we think about the peace we have with God and the restored relationship and reconciliation we have to God, then this next middle section, which is not easy to read, and to be honest, it's one of the passages of Scripture that I really don't like that much most of the time, because Paul's telling me things I don't want to hear. But that's because I don't want to hear them when I focus on my life right now and I forget I have a relationship with God that is going to give me the strength to endure this next section we're going to look at. 
Because if I have peace with God and I'm reconciled to God, then I have a new hope. I have a new hope. A hope that's going to get me through anything. And so let me again take you to verses 3 through 5. Wow, Paul, this, this, is, this is amazing stuff that you wrote. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Okay, Paul, slow your roll, buddy. That sounds nice. I know you're an apostle. You probably have to say that. Like, that's how the Bible gets printed. You got to put stuff like that in it. But really, rejoice in our sufferings. He doesn't say to be happy in your sufferings, but to rejoice. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Knowing that, okay, Paul, now you're really just piling on. Like, I already know these things because I've been made new by God. Yes, you know this. You know this experientially and you know this intellectually. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And here's this linear progression that Paul lays for us. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. That word shame is a callback to Romans 1.16, the kind of the pivotal, almost the thesis verse of this whole letter where Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul calls that back, says, hey, and this hope that we have through suffering, we're not ashamed of that either. It doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And by the way, that's the first time Paul mentions the Holy Spirit in the letter. And the Holy Spirit's going to be much more prominent in the chapters to come. So, when we have peace with God, it changes the way we should respond to suffering. When we know we are reconciled to God, it should change the way we respond to suffering. And so, we're going to have the suffering conversation for a few minutes here, all right? And you'll probably feel like you're suffering through it. I understand that. But I want to share what Paul is trying to get us to understand here because this can radically change the way we view life, but again, it must be based upon knowing I have peace with God and I've been reconciled to God. When it comes to suffering, you either just got out of it, you're in the middle of it, or it's on its way. <laughs> and suffering that we're talking about in this passage is not an inconvenience. We're not talking about something that's inconvenient. Your favorite coffee shop runs out of almond milk. Oh, the burden I carry is so heavy. Or you're visiting Walmart, Sam's Club, one of the big places, and the, the parking lot is full, and you're, please God, I really want a close parking spot. And you're six rows over and ten cars deep. And you're like, why, God, why? Why is this so far? Those are more inconveniences. Or perhaps you walked in this morning and someone is in your seat. Clearly, you're new here. If you look on the left side, back, back part of the chair, you'll see I've etched my name in there years ago. So these are inconveniences. Now, we know that that's not what we're talking about in this passage, all right? We want to make a distinction between that. But instead, what we're talking about is suffering, which in some translations, it uses the word tribulation. And the word tribulation is really helpful here, I think, because it hearkens to an actual piece of farming equipment. The word tribulation comes from the Latin word tribulum, uh, and I think we have a picture. It might be the next slide, Tommy, or the slide before it. There it is. Okay, a tribulum was a piece of farming equipment that was used in which uh, it was often like a big wooden plank. You can see here, it's like a wooden plank, and then on the underside of the wooden plank would be attached stones, pieces of metal, sharp objects that would jut out from the bottom of that piece of wood. 
And then this plank would be taken and they would drag it over wheat on the threshing floor. Oftentimes, maybe they even attach it to a mule or donkey and it would just walk around in the circles and the wheat would be on the threshing floor. And this tribulum would just press down and break down the wheat. And around and around it would go. And it would just keep pressing and pressing and pressing and pressing. Because it would separate the wheat from the chaff. The chaff would blow away. And here's the best part of this. This farming equipment that was used to sift and sort the chaff from the grain, what it would leave behind was of great value and worth. After wheat suffered under the tribulum, what was left behind was of great value and great worth. The pressures and the pushing and the grinding and the ripping apart was for a purpose, to get the unnecessary stuff to blow away and to leave behind what was of great value and great worth. That's what suffering is here. Suffering are the things of life that press down on us, that rip us to shreds, that break us down. But in the end, over time, the chaff removes and we have value and meaning and purpose and worth left over. So let's rip through these next couple terms then that come because if you are able to endure suffering, that's the very next one. If you can go through the suffering, the next one is you develop endurance. The Christ-like mindset towards suffering, knowing that I am at peace with God and I've been reconciled to God, if I can endure that tribulum, over time, I build up endurance. Endurance is perseverance. It's even related to fitness, like physical fitness. It's the building up of strength over time, over time. Uh, our son, Luke, in high school ran cross-country. I know, why? <laughs> like running on purpose, all right? Sarah knows, Sarah runs cross-country. Zach's smarter. He plays soccer, not as much running. But the cross-country team, and our kids went to Northwest Christian, and the cross-country team is, is a fun group of kids because they kind of like to run all the time. And it's a great little fraternity of, of boys and girls that no one else really understands in this world. And what I loved about cross countries, we got into it during Luke's uh, three or four years there uh, that he ran in high school, is we quickly noticed that if you wanted to be successful in November when the state championship happened, you began running and training in May and June. And imagine training by running in Arizona in May, June, July, August, September. And these kids would three, sometimes four mornings a week during the summer, would wake up at 6, 6.30 in the morning and go running. And I said, God bless you. Peace be upon you. And then school would start, and now they're practicing after school at 3.30 to 5.30 in August and in September. And to endure that over time, and there were days when everybody wanted to quit. In fact, most days everybody wanted to quit. And to watch them continue to endure and endure and endure and persevere. That by the time it got to the end and over that time, suddenly November hits, a little cooler out. And they could do that 3.2 miles over heavy terrain and probably ran their best times. 
In fact, to brag on them for a moment, last year, or two years ago, when it was, last year, yeah, a year ago when Luke was a senior, both the guys and girls teams at Northwest won state in cross country. So yeah. None of you care, but proud dad does. I'm like, yeah, that's right. And it was cool to watch them endure over time. So there's a lot of sports analogies here, but the point is this, that when you and I go through suffering correctly, we build up an endurance. We've got this ability that over time we can handle this. The endurance, Paul says, produces character. And really, it's, it's proven character. It's proven character. It's where uh, you become a new person. You're affirmed and you're authenticated in your life change. Your life begins to change. The way you see things diff- is different. The way you approach life is different. The way you approach other people's suffering is different. Because now you've built up some character, proven character. You're transformed into a new person. It makes you stronger than you ever thought possible. And if you've suffered and endured and built up that character, that creates in you a hope. A hope that Paul says does not disappoint. A hope that we're not ashamed of. There's a certainty that you have in life. There's a confidence. Now, this is not hope as in wishful thinking, like I hope the suns win tonight, or I hope Mark wraps this up pretty soon, or I hope that there's something underneath my chair that someone left behind. No, it's not, it's not a wish without knowledge. It's a confidence. It's a trust. I'm assured that we are on the path toward full and final transformation. We're being transformed. We're being changed. We're being strengthened. See, if I have peace with God and I know I am reconciled to God, I can endure suffering. And I know it's going to build character in me. And I know that I'm going to have a hope, a future confidence of what's to come. Suffering has a purpose. Suffering has a purpose. It creates endurance like we never had before, which develops character like we never had before, which builds a confident hope in Jesus like we never had before. And I think Paul probably knows what he's talking about when he writes these words, because if anybody suffered, it's the Apostle Paul. In fact, he tells us all about it in 2 Corinthians 11. If you're familiar with this passage, Paul is walking through what he has endured just as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And it's some hard reading. The number of times he's been beaten, thrown in jail, stoned to death, adrift at sea. It almost reads like Dr. Seuss. (laughs) I've been beaten in a box. I've been beaten with a fox. (laughs) I've been beaten in a chair. I've been beaten everywhere. And it's just this litany of things that Paul has endured for the gospel of Jesus. And you're like, wow, Paul, that's incredible. How can you still do what you do? So when he writes Romans 5, 3 through 5, and we're, we're deep into his ministry by this point, this is towards the latter end of his third missionary journey, he's already endured most of the things that he mentions in 2 Corinthians. It's because he has a hope. He has a hope. A few final thoughts, then I'll pray and we'll wrap it up. When it comes to suffering, the person who has been made at peace with God and has been reconciled to God understands that we rejoice in the suffering, but we don't rejoice for the suffering. 
Like you're not happy that you're in pain. But you can rejoice in it. We can have a different perspective and be thankful in the midst of it. And also, we want to make sure that suffering is shaping us, but not defining us. If the suffering is shaping us, it's changing us. But if you're defined by your suffering, it's winning and it's dominating you, and you've kind of become a victim. And that is not the role that we play. We have victory in Jesus. And so we can be shaped by it, but we don't need to be defined by it. God wishes to produce something in us through suffering. This is very difficult to say and even difficult to believe, but I, I, it's the truth based on what Paul's told us today. God wishes to produce something in us through our suffering that He could not produce in us through our comfort. It'd be way better if God could like cause us to grow through comfortable times. Wouldn't that be awesome? Cushy Christianity. Wouldn't that be nice? But that's really not how it works. We grow when we are challenged. And going through suffering and tribulation, God forms in us things that wouldn't be formed in us if that wasn't there. And that's really hard to believe in the moment. That's why hope is so important for us. So then what do we do when there's nothing we can do? I, I put a line in the notes that is just a simple prayer I heard years ago from another pastor. And sometimes in these moments, you need just a simple one sentence I call them flare prayers, like shooting a flare up in the sky. Pew, just, I got one sentence in me, God. That's all I can get out right now. And the prayer is this. Heavenly Father, use this until you choose to remove this. Use this until you choose to remove this. And even if the removal doesn't happen until the end of this physical life, use this until you choose to remove this. I don't know for sure the suffering that you're going through, the tribulation that you're feeling. Uh, I know a few of you that maybe you shared with me or you've shared with us as a church. And it's not a contest. Like, we could all sit here and probably one-up one another. Oh, yeah, you think that's rough? Wait till you hear my story. Um, I think of our family when in January of 2016, uh, my wife Melissa and I, our dads both died within four days of each other. And that was a, I don't remember January 2016 that much. And our kids were 15 and 12 at the time, and suddenly both, both granddads were gone. But I know some of you have suffered and gone through tribulation even far greater than that. The question I leave us with today is, are we taking advantage of the benefits that we have as a follower of Jesus? Because it's those benefits that Paul says have been poured into us because we're justified by faith. Those benefits are what help us have a rejoicing attitude in suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, which produces character, which gives us hope. And so when we really obtain and grasp and hold deep, deeply the benefits that are, are ours, if we are followers of Jesus, that gives us the ability together to work through any kind of suffering that we may have. And so I hope this week, as you go through your days, that if you are in the midst of incredible suffering and tribulation, that that will give you hope and confidence and lean heavy into, God, thank you that I'm at peace with you and that I've been reconciled to you. And use that as an anchor to walk, to, to, to weigh you down and give you the ability to navigate through these hard times. And if you perhaps have not yet turned to Jesus, 
and you're still on the fence about this, you're not sure if this is the way you want to go, I hope that today was maybe encouragement for you to see that while circumstances may not change, who you are and the life that you have is radically changed by Jesus because we are at peace with Him and we are reconciled to Him. And that's incredible, incredible hope. Let me pray for us. Father, uh, so grateful for this really wonderful passage. I mean, the, the way that, that Paul writes is so beautiful and he just weaves us through these truths. And I thank you even that the passage that it's familiar and yet it still can resonate with us and, and do deep things to our souls. And I thank you for this family in here, Lord. I thank you for the Desert Breeze community. Continue to help us to know one another and walk with one another and assist each other through life. Uh, lean on one another during hard times, rejoice during good times. Thank you for the new relationship we have with you, Jesus. Uh, we love you, and we pray all this in your name. Amen. Well, again, thanks for being here this weekend. If you want to have someone pray with you, talk about some things going on, there'll be some leaders up front. I'll hang around up front. Go have a great rest of your weekend and a great week. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.